0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Benny Jones. Yeah, welcome to Off the Bench. Great to have your company wherever you're listening, right around Australia. A belated Merry Christmas to you all. Benny Jones here with you. And for the next hour or so, we're going to well, look back on some of our chats through the week on Sports Day and nominate a power player and talk some racing throughout Queensland and a few other little bits and pieces as well. But I hope you got through the Christmas madness okay. I've been enjoying some of the great sport. The cricket, obviously, Boxing Day, Sydney to Hobart, Yacht Race, the big bash that's just rolling around night in, night out. And, of course, we're not too far away from uh, another big summer of tennis. That's just around the corner. Speaking of which All Things Tennis, the year in review. Brett Phillips will join us a little later on in the program. Some of his highlights of what has been a massive year, not only in Australian tennis, but right around the globe. Liam Santa Maria, to recap, a big weekend in the basketball. And that's, uh, of course, NBL-themed. We'll uh, also look forward to some of the big matches coming up in the lead-up to the new year. And we will nominate a power player. This one with a little bit of a difference, uh, a little bit of a retro vintage feel to it as well. But right now, earlier on in the week, uh, on the eve of Christmas, in fact, we caught up with one of our favourites, former Queensland and Australian superstar when it comes to all things rugby league, Brent Tate. G'day, boys.
1: A hard working working team. Christmas Eve and still one of out, eh? By popular demand,
2: Brent. That's what we do, Brent. <laughs> By popular demand.
3: Oh. Uh,
1: it's good to see, boys. Merry Christmas to you anyway.
3: You too, uh, Brent. Um, have you... Like every other Christmas year, have you put a budget on what you buy your children for Christmas?
1: <laughs> I've actually gone a little bit out this year, to be honest. That's. Of, uh, Ten dollars uh, each. Yes, yeah, so they're going to fifteen dollars each this year. But I, <laughs> I've got receipts, I can, and I'll claim it so I can get it back on my tax.
4: Very so oh, <laughs> good. Hey,
2: um, hey mate, great to have you around, and, and it's been great to for you to join us all year, and on NRL Nation as well as one part of the commentary team. We're going to talk. We're talking about some of the big moments in the NRL, and uh, maybe you can toss two or three up to us. What were the, what were the moments that you remember most that really shaped uh, a big season?
1: Well, I think uh, a, a couple of things that really stood out for me this year. I, I love the Origin series. I just, you know, every year it continues just to enthrall us. And I thought, um, you know, that final game in Sydney. Obviously, not the result as Queensland as we wanted, but. I just thought the game was incredible. I absolutely you know, just was loved the whole series and, and again it just captured everyone um everyone's imagination of what they did. Um the second yep. thing was I was just gonna uh, say on the,
2: on that origin, Tadey, game one, Queensland down eight nil at half time. It looked like the series was gonna be three nil against them, but gee, they did well to um to come back and win that first game and make it such a great series.
1: Yeah, they did, and and again, you know, like every year, we we you know it just throws something at us that we all love, and and just gets us in, and continues to, you know, just capture us. And and I love Origin, obviously, but um, yeah, and that last game, obviously, brought down to the wire, um, you know, just just on the edge of your seat, um, sort of stuff. And that's what we come and expect from Origin. It continues to grow, mm-hmm. doesn't it, and just get better and better. So, mate, loved
3: it. it was awesome. I love that Mitch Pearce also got the ability to bury the ghost yeah. of origin. game. He, he was game. the one that threw that final pass over the head of the Queensland players that, that really released the New South Wales right-hand edge. Mm. So I was, I was glad that he got to to bury the ghost there. What about the amazing win between Tonga and Australia, Teady?
1: Oh mate, I love that. I love the international game Saps, and I I love I just love watching the growth of these Pacific nations and. They've really arrived, haven't they, Tonga? Um, and I just love the passion that they play. I love the fans. I love how um, enthralled their fans get with, um, you know, just packing the stadium out in red. It's just been incredible to watch. And, look, you know, full credit to the Tongans. They, you know, they, they, they won that game fair and square. And the Aussies, you know, plenty of arguments around. They probably finished the series a bit early. But, um, oh, mate, just, just watching the scenes of them... Um, Winning it and, and the, the emotion that the players, like crying. Jason Tomlala actually said it's probably his best moment in rugby league and going back to 2015 when he won the comp. So mm. it just goes to show how important it is to um, those guys. And, and I just thought that was really good for the national game because I love it.
2: Yeah, so you you got a state of origin, it the, the series, the, the Tonga win in the international game over Australia. The NRL yep. itself, what about the, uh, the season proper? What's your, your greatest moment or memory?
1: Cannot go past the Raiders running to the grand final, boys. I, I loved watching that. I thought, uh, you know, we know how great the Green Machine are, Badge, and I know how passionate you are about them And, and in the past, and they haven't had success for a long time. But um, just their running to the grand final, loved and Again, just how their fans got around them and got amongst it. And um, I was really disappointed they didn't win the final. I think, like everyone, I was, um, I was going for them and cheering them on. But, um, geez, I thought they had a really great season, and, and I just loved... Watching that all unfold, and I love, love Ricky Stewart as a bloke as well. I think he's a fantastic man, and um, just to see him get his team there was was really good to watch.
3: So Tady give us a bit of an insight. You spent a lot of time in Townsville in and out of the year. Um, Valomania. Now, I think it's a I think it's a huge I think it's a huge step for Val Holmes to come back to Australia, and I love that he's back in the game. Um, what's it been like in Townsville having Valentine Holmes coming to the Cowboys?
1: Oh, it's been really exciting, Savs, to be honest, and, and speaking with guys like Michael Morgan. I spoke to Morgo at the start of this year when Benny Barber was there, and, and when that all sort of blew up, I remember talking to him, and, and he was so disappointed with how that all unfolded because he was really excited about having a player of Ben Barber's calibre at the back. And, and when that all unfolded, I just remember speaking to Morgo, seeing how dejected he was because everything was just going along great, and he was, you know, added so much to the team. And then when that all happened, you know, I don't think we can um, discount the effect that that had on the side. Uh, but to have Bell there now, I, I think um, that sparkles back in some of those players' eyes, like the Jason Talalos, the Michael Morgans. Just to have a player of his caliber, and we've got a really young group up there at the Cowboys this year, um, you know, a lot of young kids, and to have someone like a Val Holmes, who's been over in the NFL, um, experienced that to come back and, and been, you know, at the peak of his powers before he left as well. Um, A lot of these young kids, you know, you can just see that they sort of stare at him in awe. So, um, mate, yeah, it's been really well received. And I think he's going to be a real plus for us, um, you know, come next year. Because that fullback position for us has has been a real, you know, it's been a bit of a backbone, hasn't it, since Cootie Mm.
2: left? We're in awe of every year. No matter who they lose, they they come good and start the year so well, Melbourne Storm. One thing's for sure, they'll win their first game. I don't even know who they're playing. But they've never lost an opening game under craig bellamy hey what about the eels who that finals game that is one of the most incredible performances dominant one-sided smash the broncos 58 to nil and that is a youngish side on the way up i think they could do some good things in 2020
1: tady yeah I, I do too bad um and I, and I think they've bought well again obviously got madison um which i you know as much as i hate what he did at the Tigers, he's a really good player um and i think he'll really add to them and He's a great coach, Brad Arthur. I think he's done a great job with them last year, obviously, where they finished and where they ended up um, in, in 2019. So um, it'll be interesting to see, mate. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They're a really good side. Um, yeah, 2020, I mean, every year it throws something up, doesn't it, the NRL? That's yep. what we bloody love about it. And um, I can't wait to get back in and commentate next year and just watch it all unfold again.
3: Yeah, Tatey, the Roosters, um, can they do a three-peat, do you think, or losing Latrell and Cooper? Well, he hasn't lost Latrell officially yet, but it doesn't look like he's going to play there next year, but to lose those two in one foul swoop, how much will that hurt them?
1: I think, uh, mate, well, Latrell, it's interesting, mate, you know, we talk a lot about Luttrell and at the end of the day, mate, whether he carries a bit of baggage, I, I think he does when he goes to another club, but... At the end of the day, he wins premierships. You know, um, if he doesn't play in that grand final, the Roosters don't win. I mean, he comes up with a big play in the last moment that wins in mm-hmm. the game with that flick pass. And at the end of the day, like it or not, that they are the most, um, you know, those sort of players win your game. So, um, but I, I oh, Jesus, they went through, Pete. I'd be really surprised, mate. I just think they're done back to back. They're pulling the mountain. I just don't know whether the hunger would be there again in 2020.
2: All right, last question, same thing. New South Wales, three in a row, or can Queensland get back their origin supremacy with with Val Holmes in particular back?
1: Jeez, it's going to be tough, mate, because, again, they're a bit like Queensland where a few years ago, you know, they've got a lot of young guys on their side that are, you know, just starting to find their feet in origin, starting to get comfortable in that origin arena, which is a real worry, you know, guys like Tedesco and, you know... Cook. Latrell, Cook... Um, you know, their four-pack's really strong and young. So, uh, mate, it, it, it be, it's going to be a huge ask for Queensland, But, again, it's Origin. And, and you know, you've just got to get it right on the night. So, um, oh, it'll be really tough for us to win it back. But... Um yeah, made them a a Queenslander, so of course I'm going to
0: say they can. Yeah, great to have Tate of Origin join us on Sports Day through the week. This is Off the Bench, and up next we're going to talk Tennis, the year in review 2019. It was really the year of Ash Barty, but we'll get the thoughts of Brett Phillips, some of his standout moments, and what we can look forward to, of course, in 2020. It's just around the corner. You are listening to Off the Bench. Plenty of shows still ahead.
4: You're listening to Off the Bench, right around Australia.
0: You're listening to Off The Bench, right around Australia. Yeah, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with us. Benny Jones in the host chair. Shortly, we're going to nominate a Makita Power Play of the Week. And we'll also catch up with Sammy Hyland to find out what's happening and the road to the Magic Millions and racing Queensland and all of the exciting news around that. Sammy will fill us in shortly. Also, Liam Santa Maria talking NBL. But right now, what a year it was in tennis here and abroad, but in Australia. All eyes, of course, on the best women's player in the world, Ash Barty. Alex Diminor, Dylan Alcott, the list goes on and on. It's been an exciting 12 months and we've got a big summer of tennis to look forward to. Earlier in the week, I caught up with our resident tennis expert, Brett Phillips, to pick his brains and some of his favourite moments from the last 12 months.
4: Jeu samedi match Barti, deux manches à zéro, six cinq
1: six trois.
0: Ashley Barti. Uh, Well, that was pretty much the crowning uh, glory, if you're a tennis fan, an Aussie tennis fan, in 2019. The rise of one Ashley Vardy to ascend to the number one player in the women's game. Incredible stuff. A man who's followed her journey and the journey of many players across the last 12 months. And longer than that, I must say, is our tennis expert, Brett Phillips, who's been good enough to join us on this Christmas Eve to talk about the year that was. BP, welcome. Thank you, Benny. Nice to be here. Great to have you with us and obviously there's so many angles we could cover off on in the space of the next 10 or 11 minutes but we'll just stick to the big ones and that is, I mean in my opinion, the biggest of them all, Ash Barty and the year that she has put together not only becoming world number one but the tournament victories, just the way that she's carried herself throughout, she has become the the poster woman for tennis here in this country but beyond that I think globally she's just uh, so universally respected.
5: Phenomenal. I don't think there's anything she hasn't won uh, this year. I mean, every every day there's a media release being put out that Ash has won this award or that award or, Mm. uh, you know, a a significant mention uh, somewhere in the world. So it's been an amazing year. I mean, you know, to play 70 matches, she's won 57 of those, wins a maiden Grand Slam, four titles. She was runner-up Beijing and Sydney, you know, got to the quarters of the Australian Open, uh, semifinals at some of the other big events. And one thing you've got to be in tennis, the way the ranking uh, system works, is you've got to be the most consistent. And if you're playing all the time and you're up around the pointy end, and it's pretty tough to win every single week in every tournament, if you're up around the business end of a tournament, then uh, you're going to project yourself pretty high. So that's the bar that she's set now. Mm. Now, she's got to defend a lot of points. So 2020 is going to be fascinating because the rest of the field will be really, really hungry. And, yep. you know, I expect a, a really good response from, you know, an Osaka uh, who's had a difficult year, just appointed her fourth coach, uh, Benny, to mm. uh, come into the camp in the space of 12 months when, you know, Ash has had uh, the, the solidarity of Craig Tizer. Um, you know, Andreescu's really developed. Uh, is, is there something left in the older girls? I mean, Kvitova... You know, Serena, we don't know. Uh, Wozniacki on her last, of uh, course, uh, leaks, as far as the Australian Open is concerned. She'll bow out of the game. Mm. Uh, where does Kerber sit? So many uh, questions to be answered. But Ash Barty will leave no stone unturned to um, to want to go better. I mean, she's she's right in the the absolute prime of her career right now. So yep. I don't think she's going to drop away significantly, but it's going to be fascinating to see what 2020 looks like.
0: Well, the entire Barty story, I think you've summed it up with that F word. Fascinating. And we're all experts with the benefit of hindsight. We know she came into the game very young, prodigiously talented, burnt out, went to cricket, came back. Was there a moment, not so much in the last 12 months, because her ascension has really started uh, a little longer than that, probably going back to the mid part of 2018. Was there a moment, a game, a tournament, a performance, BP, where you saw Ashbarty and thought, "Hang on. No, I I think we're on the verge of something really special here." Oh, look, it's it's a good question. I mean, I, I I don't think any of us doubted her tennis
5: pedigree, so mm. I, I think we all thought if she came back that she could climb pretty quickly. If if you if you'd seen her in the juniors and, you know, the very early days, I remember watching her in the wildcard playoff at Melbourne Park, so you know, we're talking she's 16, yeah. 17 and you know very young came into that doubles partnership with Casey Dellacqua. She had amazing tennis nous and ability, and her, the, to what, to think her way around a tennis court. So you always knew that if she came back and was dedicated to the sport a second time around, that she could she could uh, be right at the sort of the somewhere in the business end now to to ascend to world number one and win a major.
4: Hmm.
5: I don't think we quite sort of put that into the crystal ball and thought that could possibly uh, happen. But we yep. knew she was certainly capable of beating some very good players. So I don't think there was maybe a moment, but you know, once she rededicated really herself to the game, uh, her level, you could just see, was so much better than yep. so many of her contemporaries and she's leapfrogged all of them.
0: Before we get to the, the men's side of things and some of the highlights of 2019, there are four different winners in the Women's Grand Slams in the calendar year. Can you recall a time where the women's game was as open as it is? And, can uh, you mentioned Serena earlier, and we know she's chasing down, of course, that uh, standalone record of most Grand Slams, Margaret Court, in her sights. Uh, she lost two finals. You, you wouldn't suggest she's completely a spent force? No. And she
5: only played 31 matches. So yep. when you look at that top 10, she's been the least productive, hasn't played since the US Open. I mean, this is what she's probably got to do to pro- prolong her yep. career is just focus on the big tournaments and, and and really gear up her training. I know she's been doing a lot of training recently with Coco Goff, the young American sensation. They've been training uh, as part of the Moritoglu Academy, and she's putting in the yards to have another crack at it. But look, it's it has been this way. I suppose while Serena is aging and hasn't been able to peel off majors in the last uh, three years with um, that regularity of the past, it's opened up the door and so many girls mm. have won majors. When I look at you know, the four that you mentioned who won this year, the one that hasn't been able to break through is Karolina Pliskova. She's the world number two. Yep. She has been world number one. Good player uh, from the Czech Republic. Won over 50 matches. She's, as I said, been world number one. But she hasn't fired when the, the majors are really counted. You've got Svitolina who got to semis this year. And so she's got better as a real bona fide top 10 player. Benchich was the the big mover, um, Blinda Benchich the Swiss mm. Miss. So that top 10, when I look at who's out, gee, you've got enough. I've put down 10 other names here that are going to really challenge and maybe become the Barty, Osaka, Andreescu stories of 2020. And I'm talking about Sabalenka and Sofia Kennan from the States. Yastrzemskaya from the Ukraine, Anna Samova, the young gunner from America, Coco Goffin. You know she's she's still only 15. She's 68 in the world. She'll come thick and fast. So the women's game is pretty damn exciting.
0: I wanted to touch on Alex Dimanor and also I think from the men's side of things, and looking at it with an Aussie angle, we can't discount the amazing achievements too of one Dylan Allcott. It's great to see that the uh, the wheelchair game is now. Uh, has its presence, BP, at all of the, the, the four Grand Slams. It's been a long time coming, but it's finally been really taken into the mainstream, what he was able to do, but also Alex Dimonor and, and his rise. I know he didn't reach the Grand Slam heights of Ashbardi Barty, but uh, peeled off some tournament wins, has a bright future ahead, and, uh, well, he can really carry the flag for the men's side of the game.
5: Well, this kid is is an absolute beauty, and you know every time I see him he's grown a he's grown a foot he's um he's put on more size mm. uh, he's he actually enjoys the media side of things yeah. he's got a bit of a surety about him and look he went through a bit uh, with injury this year he actually missed nearly eight weeks mm. off the tour of that groin. there was a lot happening in the background. Uh, with the uh, split with you know David Drysdale, long-time manager of uh, Leighton Hewitt and the fallout there, and with Demon Orr as well. So there's a bit bubbling around behind the scenes. But, gee, i tell you what, from about, uh, what, just after Wimbledon, because that first half of the year was, was pretty tough for him, but to end up winning 41 matches and losing 20, I mean, it was a phenomenal effort when at one stage he actually was struggling to win a match. But mm. this is what this kid is made of. He is that damn competitive that... Every time he goes out there, if his body allows and his mind is there, he is, he is absolutely in every match he plays. So he's achieving great things. Uh, to be 18 in the world is a mighty achievement considering the calibre of the men's game. Now, where he goes from here is fascinating because you know I think he certainly can make top 10 um, because, because the, the reason I say that is he's got now a really decent serve mm. He's magnificent off the ground. I mean, he takes the ball so early that as an opponent, you are under enormous pressure. He's trying to push you back and push you back. And then when he seizes an opportunity to get forward, he is probably the quickest, if not in the top two or three quickest movers on the court who can get forward and close out with a beautiful volley. So he's got all parts of the game covered. You're under enormous pressure when you play him and... I'm really keen to see where his trajectory grows, but um, no, he's a great kid. And you know, I sat down with his mum at Wimbledon this mm. year, and Esther was, you know, just fantastic to talk to a parent who doesn't, who only gets to see her son for maybe two or three or four weeks a year. I mean, that's what professional tennis is. You're on the road so much. And he is a great ambassador at the moment for Australian men's
0: tennis. And before we wrap up, BP, of course, this time of year, we always look back and some of the players that have left us farewell the game. And there's been some beauties throughout 2019. Thomas Burditch, David Ferrer, Marcus Bagdadis. I remember those Australian Opens when he was the star of the show going back about a decade. And on the women's side, Sybil Kova, Safarova. And as you've mentioned already, uh, this Australian Open will be the last we see of Caroline Wozniacki. Yeah, look,
5: at you know, I, I remember back, you mentioned David Ferrer. I reckon that was one of the most emotional uh, farewells that I've seen on the tour. It was in Madrid, he yep. played his last match. I mean, talk about a guy. When I mean, you talk about you know, Alex, Alex Demon or what he brings, well, that, that has been David Ferrer's career. He's hmm. played in ultimately the toughest era ever <laughs> in men's tennis, made a French Open final, one of the fittest guys going around, Road runner, tough to beat. Uh, you almost had to beat him over the head with a tennis racket to actually beat him. It was it was really really hard, and uh, he got one of the best farewells you will see in Spain, who recognised him as just being the ultimate competitor. Yeah, we've certainly um, you know lost some players. Wasn't he? You know, I, I probably saw it coming, considering the arthritis that she's had the last two years, it's, it's just made it tough for her to be yep. the best, and yes, 30 is a young age in life, but as a tennis player, when you start so young, and you're, you're half decent, you're playing nationals and you know under 11s, under 12s, mm-hmm. under 13s, you get to 30, you're just about spent mentally, and the great lifestyle, but um, there's other things she wants to achieve, and uh, yeah, I don't think she'll win the Australian Open uh, this time around, but it'd be nice to see her, I think I read today that her and Serena Williams are going to Uh, double up as a, I think in Auckland in the build-up, playing the doubles. Don't know whether that'll extend to the Australian Open, Mm. but um, yeah,
0: she's been been a fine player. Well, BP, you have been a fine contributor here on Sports Day. So before we sign off, we want to thank you for all of your efforts, whether it was at Wimbledon, the French, the US Open, and of course we've got the Australian Open just around the corner. This is sort of the calm before the storm for you with the ATP Cup and all of those amazing tournaments in Brisbane and in Adelaide and in Sydney. So, mate, have a great Christmas. Rest up because we're going to need you firing in January. Thanks for everything you've given us on Sports Day and keeping our listeners in the loop.
5: Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and everyone too uh, who listens in, Benny. Uh, Pleasure. And uh, yeah, the uh, short off season for the players (laughs) and for those who commentate tennis. So we'll be back into it pretty soon.
0: Great of BP to join us on Sports Day through the week. This is Off the Bench. Off to a very quick break up next. It's time to nominate a Makita Power Player. We'll do that right after this.
4: This is Off the Bench. We'll be back right after this. It's time to nominate the Makita Power Player, Makita's Cordless Power Garden Range, the landscaper's choice.
0: Yeah, you can get 200 tools on the one battery, Makita's Cordless Power Garden Range. It is the landscaper's choice. Benny Jones here with you. Time to nominate a Makita Power Player, but I'm actually going to nominate a Makita Power advertisement. This is a little unusual, a little bit different, but I stumbled across this on Twitter and it brought back some great memories. People of an even... Greater vintage than I will also be reminiscing about the old classic tune, Come on, aussie come on. It was a staple of the summer. Whenever the cricket returned, you'd hear this one, Lily and Marsh and Chapel and Border, and then it got redone a few years later with Booney and Merv and all the crew. Steve and Mark War and oh the list goes on and on. Well, Commonwealth Bank have uh, rejigged this to uh, reflect the great prominence of our Australian women's cricketers and our Australian women's cricket team who are a bunch of absolute superstars. The names are all there. Mooney, Perry, Lanning and Healy. Take a listen. It's a beauty. Have you heard of Betty Wilson? That day she scored her first time and helped our women push the boundaries.
6: Every generation has been an inspiration. Now our team must be seen to be believed. Cause Beth is doing damage with the back. Crowd is up as well. Rachel's got it covered. What a catch.
0: Rachel, right. Lanning's score gets high. And Ash is just on fire. And Shooter's taking aim again. And It's it? given. It. Now Sophie's up for her
6: amazing piece. She's got it. And here these hands are pretty hard really to beat. Catchy, then, of course, there's Perry, whose skills are find are scary. Come on, Aussie,
4: up and off your seat. Salute, blinder Come on, Aussie, come on, come on. Come on, Aussie, come
1: on, come on. Come on, Aussie, come
0: on. So there you go, the Aussie women's cricket team who have just had another great year. Of course, 2019, 2020, I'm sure it will be just more of the same, but... A little nod there to the Commonwealth Bank for uh, yeah bringing back up some great memories with a great cricketing tune here on Off the Bench. It's time to get the latest in all things Racing Queensland news.
3: Time for a Racing Queensland update. Summer Carnival? Visit
0: racingqueensland.com.au. And it's season's greetings to this gentleman, Sammy Hyland from Racing Queensland. Don't forget with that summer carnival, you can visit racingqueensland.com.au for all the details. Sammy, uh, before we look to the weekend and post-Christmas as we look to find ourselves a winner or two, the weekend just gone, uh, a great day of racing at Eagle Farm. What caught your eye? Benny, I think the two-year-old was a uh, a real
4: highlight of the day and that kicked off the day's racing. Got a kiss Uh, is obviously en route to the magic millions and she drew the good gate had a sweet run picked up and quick and nicely and yeah came out on top she was she was a really sharp winner but i tell you what the horse to follow out of that race going forward to that magic millions race is the horse that ran second lady bam big follow she had a tough run from wider out she drew wide she had to press forward and do some work she covered ground and gee, she was brave in the finish, and I tell you what if she draws a good gate in the magic Mans race, she's going to be very hard to beat,
0: yeah, and of course, when we spoke last Sammy, you were very intrigued as to how the group three Grand Prix would play out. It was a competitive race, how'd it finish up?
4: yeah, chains of monarchy was a big winner because uh. Gerald Ryan uh, bought this horse up from from Sydney, and uh, obviously he was one of the favourite runners. He was back in the run, Benny, and doing it tough because they were going a slow tempo out of the straight. It was almost like a canter. And then Mark Zara got him in a bit of an awkward position. Came out, uh, he was wide and over racing. He pressed forward to lead for you know from from the halfway point in the race, and then to hold them off in the straight was such a good effort. You know, it just shows that. I think he's going to be a class stayer for the future. He's Queensland derby bound for the Winter Carnival, so that's going to be good to see him up here, back up here for, for the Winter Carnival. But, yeah, he's a strong stayer. And and I think with time under his belt, he's only going to get better.
0: All right, Sammy, by the time we've polished off all the Christmas leftovers, we'll be turning your attention back to Eagle Farm this weekend. Uh, what do you got? What do you like? Alligator blood is stepping out again.
4: He's en route to the Magic Millions guineas on January 11th, and I tell you what, I think he'll just win. He's uh, yeah, he, he's a really sharp horse. He's a group one horse for sure, this horse, and he's come back a bigger, furnished product, and he's just sharper, and I think he'll give Ryan Maloney a beautiful ride on Saturday. It's going to be great to see him again. And then we've got, uh, of course, the, the Magic Millions, the Buffering, mm. and Deep Image, Rob Heathcote uh, saddles up Deep Image. Robbie Frudd knows this horse so well. He won for us. A couple of weeks back there and yeah he's just a sharp galloper and i think we've got to stick with him again in the buffering so good day of racing on saturday at eagle farm
0: some great names there vo rogue buffering and it's all on the road to the magic millions this saturday more details at racing au. sammy to you and yours a very merry christmas thank you for all of your efforts over the past few weeks look forward to catching up with you post christmas see how the big day at eagle farm plays out
4: thanks very much benny merry christmas to everybody this is Off the Bench. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Off the Bench, right around Australia.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much for your company throughout the hour. I hope we've kept you relatively entertained. Betty Jones here with you as we recap some of our big chats through the week and we wind down towards 2020, our final show for the year. But we will be back next year and, of course, footy season, all the ramping up towards 2020's campaign for all 16 clubs. We'll be making sure we keep you across all of that. Uh, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is keeping a very close eye on all things NBL. Liam Santa Maria has been our resident expert talking all things basketball. We caught up with him on Christmas Eve.
3: It's an asset he has. Oh, my goodness over his career has he done that
5: on cue to kick it it's his forte it's his career forte kick it again it's been his forte on cue when they
0: need Yeah, win for the Sydney Kings, back on the winner's list after a mixed bag over the weekend, but uh, holding on there to win by 12 points over the Phoenix. May have come at a cost. We'll find out uh, about an injury update, one of their stars right now. We're going to catch up with Liam Santamaria. Just one part of NBL Overtime, which you can catch every Tuesday night. Uh, check it out on the Twitter page, the NBL's Twitter page, alongside Corey Homicide-Williams and Cam Luke. Liam, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us, by the way, on Christmas Eve. Busy time of the year for everyone, no doubt. And again, another busy weekend in the NBL.
6: Yeah, it sure was. Merry Christmas to you, Benny. And uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And it was, uh, it was a big round 12, no doubt about it. And the uh, the underdogs were really the story. Last Mm. week, it was the little men of the league that were tearing things up. And uh, this week, everything just got a little bit tighter on an already very compacted ladder uh, because um, a bunch of teams uh, took care of business against some more highly fancied opponents.
0: Yeah, they certainly did. And actually, prior to last night's 12-point win for the Kings, I was just looking across the board, the other six games played, we're all decided by single-figure margins, which once again just paints the picture of just how close this competition is. Just briefly on, on last night, and as we touched on, the Kings after being beaten surprisingly by the Bullets. We'll talk about that game shortly. But getting back on the winner's list, uh, just a chance for them to steady a touch. But Didi Lozada, a concern late, ankle injury. We haven't, haven't heard any updates there, Liam, as to the severity of that. Hopefully just a, a mild sprain or a rolled ankle. Yeah, he's had a few bangs
6: and, and bumps over the course of the season, Zidi Lozada, and uh, that one was a bit of a strange one because it was certainly a non-compact um, injury and uh, obviously went up in the air to collect the rebound and then mm. he came down and refused to put that right uh, leg down onto the ground. So obviously he didn't play any further part in, in the game, and they didn't really need him to, and uh, we wait hear a word on whether he'll miss extended time, but that seems just so deep. Uh, as long as it's not too serious, they'll certainly be able to handle things. They've got Xavier Cooks uh, integrating into the lineup now. He was really impressive last night, almost had a double-double. And um, despite having a few guys on the sideline, like Kevin Lish and Craig Muller still both sitting out, um, they, uh, they're they doing just fine at the top of the table.
0: Now, uh, we mentioned the Kings losing to the Bullets. This was a bit of a surprise to many. I mean, the Armoury was absolutely pumping and there's been some great crowds turning up there in Brisbane, cheering on the Bullets throughout the season to date. But an 87-80 to 80 win for the home side and to keep the Kings to just 13 points in that third period, but to keep them to 80 across the duration of the game, that'll be something, I'm sure, along with the win, Liam, that will really please their coach, Andre Lamanis.
6: Yeah, he's, um, he's actually been pretty happy with the way they've been playing for the most part over the last few weeks without getting the, the results that they were after. But um, he was of the opinion that they just needed to start making some shots and some uh, some wins would come their way. And they shot the ball really well in that one. Will Magna had a career-best yeah. performance, um, 23 points and 14 rebounds. And those three triples that he hit from outside uh, helped their cause a lot because that really opened up. Things for them at the offensive end when he started dragging their big guys out to defend him. So with them making some shots, continuing to play uh, pretty solid at both ends of the floor, they're able to get the win. I will say this though, the Kings are very much in load management mm. mode right now. They've been that way for the past month or so. We've seen them, you know, slip up and lose a couple of contests in, in recent times, but. Um, you know, Andrew Bogut only played 17 minutes a game in yep. both their contests this week, and they're very much just kind of easing him through things at the moment, make sure guys like him and older guys like Brad Newley and Daniel Kickett are cherry-ripe for February and March when the real stuff gets going, because that is a team that is going to finish. I can't see them finishing below top spot, to be mm-hmm. honest, despite managing the load of their, their stars and they're just making sure they're going to
0: be ready to go in the finals. Now, uh, Liam, the jungle can be a pretty scary, daunting place. And the Perth Wildcats for so many years have made it just that. Their home court, the jungle as it's referred to. But this season, and with the greatest respect to Perth, it's become a bit more of a jungle gym. It's a place where opposition sides are going and having a good old time. Melbourne United, the latest to go over to Perth on the weekend and and to head home with the W, a seven-point victory on Saturday night.
6: Yeah, you're right. That's uh, what is that? It's their third loss at home this year, and uh, we saw the Titans smack them about, mm. and Adelaide come into town and have their way, and, and Southeast, Mel- uh, sorry, Melbourne United came in and, and did the same. And um, I think the issue for the Wildcats is that their defense has been inconsistent this year. This is a team that has built its championship success around defense and rebounding. Trevor Gleeson for years has said our defense is our backbone and um, some days they just don't turn up at that end of the floor and uh, that's why it's been such an imposing place to play because they have always locked down defensively and Mellow Trimble and Melbourne United really carved them up on uh, when they played last round and uh, Trimble was just getting in the paint whenever he wanted he was setting up his big fella for thunderous dunks at the rim and you know, they didn't put a massive score on the board, mm. but they really didn't have any trouble ticking things over offensively. And the Wildcats, um, with the pace that they play and with their, um, you know, their very sort of focused offensive attack, they can't just leak points like that. It puts too much pressure on their offense and guys like Bryce Cotton and Tariko White. So they need to get a little bit more consistent at that end of the floor if they're going to be serious about defending their title.
0: And, Liam, probably the other standout for me over Week 12, and this is from, a, I guess, a disappointing point of view, was the Adelaide 36ers. Just as it appeared, they might have turned a corner and were starting to really storm into that top four. Nought from two over the weekend. And that loss at home to the Hawks in particular came as a huge surprise. It did.
6: And uh, you tip your Santa hat to the Hawks and the way they played because uh, no one really gave them much chance of, of getting that. Of course, no Lamello ball right mm. now, and they're still getting a couple of new imports into the mix. Those guys haven't been too impressive, but their core of young, up-and-coming talent, Emmett Naar, Sunday Detch, Angus Glover, a development player out of New Zealand, Hiram Harris, really turned up and played well. Some of their veterans stood up, AJ Ogilvie and Todd Blanchfield, Tim Conrad over the course of the weekend. And they played well. They got that win over Adelaide, and then they took New Zealand right down to the wire back home a couple of days later. But the 36ers, yeah, you're right. This time last week, we were singing their praises and thought, oh boy, this looks like the team that's going to claim this top four spot. And then they um, dropped their bundle and laid an egg at home. And uh, Joey Wright was very, very frustrated with that loss. They played a bit better mm. in their second game of the round in Cairn, Uh but they were you know, just beaten by a better team on the day. And uh, But an 0-2 weekends, when you have the bottom team come into your home court, at this time of the year just uh that just can't
0: happen. Liam Santa Maria with us here part of NBL overtime you can catch it every Tuesday night from 6:30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Now as far as what's coming up next before we might get a cheeky little 2020 prediction from you Liam obviously it's a, it's a massive run of games from Boxing Day through to New Year's Day I think nine across the space of 5 days. Some beauties in there to look forward to. Illawarra aside is there a team that you, Liam, are already placing a line through as a as a top four contender, or is it pretty much still a, a race in eight?
6: I don't think New Zealand will get there. Okay, I think they're going to make a run. They've won. Obviously, they just won a couple of games on the weekend, but they're coming from a really uh, long way back. Um, they have a really interesting part of their schedule in the next four or five games. They really play all those other teams that they're battling at, that they're trying to catch for mm. that race for the fourth spot. Cairns and Adelaide and Southeast Melbourne. So if they're, they're going to make any noise, they really need to have a good, solid run through those games. But, look, to be honest, I placed a line through them in pre-season okay. because of the things going on within that organization. I just didn't feel like it was a recipe for success. We've seen that play out for the most part. What are they? 6-10 and 10 after their first 16 yep. games. That's a long way back. Uh, they've got no Corey Webster the rest of the way. He's now playing over in China. And Whilst they have uh, the rest of their roster healthy and back on court, I think they've just given everyone else a bit of a, a head start. But apart from that, uh, every other team definitely, for me, has, has a shot. and We'll see whether Brisbane can consolidate on that win that they got over the Kings, mm. whether Southeast Melbourne and Adelaide can shore up their defense and uh, make a bit of a run. But right now, if there was a gun to my head and I had to get it right to save my life, I'd say the Taipans would be rising from last year's wooden spoon to get some postseason action.
0: Well, there you go. We're well, currently sitting fourth, huge game against Melbourne United they have on Thursday night, which we're all looking forward to, obviously, Boxing Day, basketball, not much better than that after a huge day of sport in Melbourne. The Kings and the Wildcats also a feature of Week 13. And then Melbourne United will have to front up again at home against the Bullets, uh, fresh from that win over the Kings. So, mouth-watering stuff to look forward to. Liam, again, thank you for your time on this Christmas Eve and Merry Christmas to you and yours and the NBL. Overtime family as well, Cam and Corey. Hope it's a a wonderful festive season and plenty of basketball to enjoy while we're unwrapping presents and getting stuck into the ham.
6: Indeed. Thanks, mate. And Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners.
0: So that's our show, Off the Bench. Thank you for joining us. As I said, I hope you've all had wonderful Christmases and I hope you're all geared up for what should be an exciting and a fun and hopefully for all a safe and prosperous new year. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Bench. We'll be back same time next week.
4: This is Off The Bench. We'll be back right after this.